Dotnet Rocks episode 750 with guest Steve Rogalski. Recorded live Tuesday, March 13th, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Hey Richard, it's almost time for NDC. Oh yes, the Norwegian Developers Conference. Yeah, it's coming up here in June, June 6th to 8th, with pre-conference workshops June 4th and 5th. Where do you see the roster? The cost is $2,000 US. Which is 10,900 kroner. And you can see a list of speakers if you go to ndcoslo.com slash speaker. I know you and I will be there. We will be. We'll be recording shows like Mad like we always do. It's one of the best speaker rosters of any conference or anywhere in the world. And it's not a huge show. If you really want to get a chance to sit and chat with a guy like Aral or uh, Dan North, this is your best shot. It's a great show for that. NDCOslo.com. Hey, it's Carl and Richard, and we're at Prairie DevCon. Here we are in Calgary. For my first time out here. I thought we were going to be in Winnipeg. I'm kind of surprised we're in Calgary, actually, but... I'm glad I'm here. I'm getting to know your country more than I ever wanted. It's a lot like yours, only different. <laughs> well, anyway, we're, uh, we're here with Steve Rogalski. Hi, Steve. Hello. How are you doing? And you just finished a talk here on? I was called Agilist Heal Thyself. Yeah, it's a, we were talking about it in the elevator on the way up. Tell, tell me what happened. Uh, we stole it. Well, stole it. We, it was suggested to us by the Ottawa Scrum user group. They tried it first. Mm. Uh, basically, you bring your problems from your team. Uh, agile or not, and you pitch your problem to the group. We vote on the problems to talk about. We split into smaller groups, and then uh, basically that we'll talk about the solution or possible solution, things to try, and then you report on those solutions to the rest of the group, and then we go to the next one. So how many people in the room? Today, about 20. And so split up into four groups of five kind of thing? Actually, we split into two groups, mm-hmm. uh, so some groups would be just under 10 and some would just over. Mm-hmm. What's interesting there is that uh, I'm I'm curious to know if the solutions that you came up with were along the lines of what the initial problem solvers were thinking. For sure not, no. Really? Yeah. Wow, they were really surprised. Uh, a little bit, yeah. Uh, some of them we went in totally different directions. There was a definite Kanban or Kanban influence in the room for mm. some of the solutions because there were some Kanban presenters in there. Um, but, uh, those also seem to be like good ideas to try. So, well, I was interested in your talk on user story mapping. So, yeah. so let's talk about that. And I guess we should start with what's the problem? What's the problem? Yeah. Um, most teams who are doing agile have a backlog of items and it's long and linear and one dimensional. And so when you try to look at that backlog and prioritize what's in there, figure out what's valuable to the user, which ones should we do first, is that backlog complete? Does it actually um, map out our solution? Can we see our solution in there? Uh, you can't. That ba- flat backlog is pretty frustrating. Quite often people just have a long list in a spreadsheet, right, of 50 or 100 items, and it becomes quite frustrating. Okay, and so how does the user story mapping help to solve that? So many years ago, I won't say how many because I don't know, uh, Jeff Patton and others started experimenting with different formats, mm. basically turning it into two-dimensional backlogs. 
So now you can actually see based on uh, the grouping that's on the second dimension is the things people do in your application. So if you're talking about email system, one of those dimensions would be um, compose email, read email, create a task, uh, create an appointment, view your appointments, contacts, those kind of things. So I'm imagining a, a, a two-dimensional graph. Is that it? Uh, uh, basically a grid. A yep. grid, okay. With the things people do across the top. Yeah. And then you just take your backlog, your user stories from top to bottom underneath each column of, so compose email. Your Got first it. user story is going to be, uh, create the basic email with the to field and the subject mm. and a body and a send button. Really, really the basics. Below that one is going to be the next priority, which might be adding HTML support or RTF support or et cetera, et cetera. So is the idea here, because you've gone two dimensional, that every sort of feature grouping gets some love? Yes. And especially, uh, the way you hear, uh, the way I've used it and the way it's been described to me, one of the successful patterns is you want to build across that first dimension of things people do mm -hmm. with a very small slice all along. So you've got the basic compose email, the basic read email, the mm -hmm. basic appointment, the basic calendar, the basic content. And the point being that that sort of horizontal slice out of That's the grid right. gives it a sort of full set, even if not every feature is implemented. You don't want to have this awesome compose email ability with a hundred different features in it, but you can't read email. Correct. I'm still trying to imagine the grid if the if the working with email goes across the top and your different components of that goes uh vertically then th that whole grid then has to do with email it, it doesn't what's move the whole, to any other kind of well if you're building email yes the whole grid yeah. is related to email yeah okay so so you're going to have one grid for each story essentially uh no it's for your product so is it a really like compose email is way too big to be a user story so it's kind of like a category within your user story and it might be there might be a higher category in the map called manage email which be compose and read and sort or search those kind of things but i guess what i'm saying is the whole grid deals with email and only email because that's the product we're building oh if you right. were building a new social media recipe site Okay. You would have much different categories at the top, like post recipe, read recipe, share recipes, search for recipes, I print a grocery list. But these are still general categories. I mean, yeah. when you get down to user stories, it's yeah. actually, what does it look like when I, the, the fact that there is a new button for a new mail and what does, what comes up and what the lookup mechanisms look like for different users. I'm just thinking, I mean, those get down to the, the discrete stories, discrete features. Correct. Okay. So the, the rows across the top, or the, sorry, the columns across the top. Mm -hmm. I'm using hand motions here, which nobody can see except you guys, but <laughs> the columns across the top uh, describe the categories of the things that people will do in the application. Right. And then you, you because there's, you know, a, a basic compose has relatively few features. That's right. But you can keep advancing it and keep That's advancing right. and keep advancing it. So there's many features in that category of composing mail. Correct. So many people talk about delivering the highest value thing first in an agile mm -hmm. project. Mm -hmm. When you have a flat, singular backlog, a single dimension, that is much harder to visualize. Well, what does that mean to deliver first? And now when you're delivering highest value first, you're delivering across all those features, one single or maybe two user story slices, which means now you, after you've finished in maybe an iteration or two, your whole product at a basic level, mm -hmm. if you can email, you could do that. You've For email, you have now validated your architecture because your messaging system works, because mm -hmm. you know, because you can send and receive. Um, your user has looked at everything and can test things to end to end. I've heard of enough stories of agile projects where people are doing it for the first time 
and QA gets a piece, a user story that's finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's say they get, like you said, the whole Compose email first, all those user stories. Right. They can prioritize email. They can do HTML support. They can do RTF. But they can't actually test. They can read the email. Right. Right. So it's this is an approach that allows you to see those things and then prioritize and and well, getting and, back to your point of what's the highest priority item? Yeah. Isn't the highest priority item at least at version one is one full horizontal slide? That's would be the that's what the user story mapping asks you to consider. Right. And it doesn't force you to, but it gives you a, a visual picture of that. And it's a really, it's a great practice, sort of right? create a value to that right. idea that until we've made it across mm-hmm. the slice, we really haven't shipped sufficiently. That's right. Yeah, I get it now. So you, you use the word rounding a lot as, as opposed to a flat kind yeah. of user story. And it just, just kind of go into that metaphor a little bit more. You know, there's an article by Jeff that I think it's called rounding out your backlog. So that's probably where the term comes from, but, uh, uh, it's basically difference between a flat earth and a, and a globe, right? You're now taking your flat earth or your flat backlog and giving it some shape and get, and get into a map. Ah, okay. Well, that makes total sense. Does this tend to break out, uh, into, uh, areas of focus for developers too? Like it, you could have a different team on each sort of feature set. If you choose to do your project like that, mm-hmm. for sure. It's not a requirement, I'm, I guess. That's right. You could do it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but one of the things I'm really thinking about is how I get a larger team in action on a project. Yes. So uh, one of the common patterns that I've heard for larger teams is that you would not say one team does all the services, another team does all the database right. or the UI, but that you say this team is going to do compose and read in and search email, mm-hmm. and this team is going to do the contacts, right? Because then there's less dependencies between teams. There's right. still dependencies as far as what the look and feel looks like, and you mm-hmm. have to manage that, but there are less dependencies as far as the code. Yeah. You're still going to want a sort of an overarching plan for design, yep. you know, your yep. sort of hosted environment. But yeah, you're right. And there's a dependency between contacts and mail, like that, that when yes. the two field comes up, we need to be able to talk to contacts. Right. But it's an awful lot of development to be done in contacts before, simultaneously. Before you even composed. get to that. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's not every app is a serial series of steps. There's, right. there's parallel bits that can be done there. That's right. Sure. So I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about this, but I'm still trying to, now I'm trying to figure out, okay, you've got one horizontal slice. What would another horizontal slice look like if all the columns are the same for that horizontal slice? What, right. Give, give me some ideas of the, what the row value. So again, be. you have your, in, in compose email, if you look at all the user stories in that column, the first one is the basic email with a two button. You type in an email address. You don't, doesn't go to the contacts at this point. You type in your own subject body and you click the send button. So underneath, you're going to do the same thing for creating a new appointment. It's where's the appointment? Who are you inviting? And a message, right? So now you have the basics of composing email and sending appointments. Plus you're going to have, you need to read email in a calendar, but the very basics, the calendar might just be a list of appointments at this point. And now you're going to flesh out each one of those. So, the second slice will be adding HTML support to the compose and right. read email. And you're going to add meeting room support to the appointments. And you want to make sure all of those things on the, in the columns work for each story in the rows. Yes. I yeah. think that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a great visualization tool. And what, I mean, is this something that you would just build an Excel spreadsheet or are there tools that are specific to? The, to uh, this. 
it's it's really fun to create your user story map um, because you can do it in probably well depending on the size of the project between ten minutes and half an hour mm. and it's a collaborative approach that Jeff taught me I took one of his workshops uh, yeah. several years ago uh, it's using silent brainstorming and silent grouping and it mm. it speeds up I can if you have an idea for a project I can get the main map out of your head in at least in about half an hour or less that shows everything you expected to do and then you can scope it down right away too so okay here's all, right. all the categories we created now we can't do all those in the first release because I don't, you don't have a million dollars to build right. it. So let's see what do you actually want in the first release? And then we can scope some of those major categories out. For example, uh, our company built a payroll product. Mm. Uh, you don't, I don't know what the tax situation is in the U.S., but in Canada, That's we not have, as harsh right, as yours, we have T4s that are get printed off every year. Yeah. One of the categories in the user story map for payroll would be creating T4s, but we scope that whole T4 out. Because we have to build a payroll system and be successful and deliver it before it's even important to do T4s. So we did T4s after and in time for the tax season. Right. And well, it, it, there's an interesting discussion there about how you prioritize each one of those feature sets. Right. On um, um, what different folks need. I, 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 I want to jump back to silent brainstorming in sure. a sack, but I also think there's this great battle of, you said a very casual thing there that you're, you're going to get all this information from, from the, yeah. the, the domain expert. It's like, but he doesn't know, you know, he knows some things, but I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I struggle often with folks who they know they want an application, but they don't necessarily know everything's going to be in it. You know, what, what are the features that are going to be important in compose? Yeah. They won't find those things out till later in the process. But, uh, for a user story map, I'm not talking. The whole user story map, I'm talking mm-hmm. the story. I'm talking the first two rows, which is compose email, yep. that level and above. There's a, there's a higher level grouping for compose email as well, like manage email, which is compose, read, search, right, file. But I can get those first two rows out of your head just by asking you, what do you want the system to do? Mm-hmm. What are people going to do in that system? Which is the phrasing that. Uh, may, Jeff may have changed it by now, but that's the phrasing he, I wrote down when he taught it to me. And I guess that's what people understand. It's just the things they want to do. That's right. It's really more your job as an architect to sort of think about the broader picture around yep. these things once you have the collection of things people want to do. Right. And then, of course, there's administration of that, right? So they're not going to think of, well, I need to administer the security. Mm-hmm. So there's probably going to be some columns that we'll add afterwards. But I can understand from you what you want the application to right. do. And I, yeah, do you map uh, in real time as as these things are being gathered, or do you gather them all first and then map? Uh, there are so there's the first two rows of the map. You start with the second row, which is at the compose email or post recipe level, mm-hmm. and basically it's it's silent brainstorming. I give you ten stickies or twenty. You write them all down. If you have a team, there's probably three or four of you. You each write down all these different ideas, right? And then you compare them. You read them out loud. You get rid of duplicates. And then you do this silent grouping exercise, which is you got all these stickies on your or post-it notes on your table, maybe 50 of them, maybe 20, depending on your project. And you just start moving things that are similar close to each other, things that are dissimilar farther apart. And it's only because it's faster. When you do prioritizing out loud, you start, you know, you have people hesitating. Well, I I think this should go there. Right. Um, but maybe not. I, I don't want to impose on your DA. Yeah. When well, you do it, it silent, it's fast. I mean, I'm always, I have a challenge with being silent. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, why we do this. Well, and also that, that you, I mean, you deal with the issue of some people are very influential. Yes. Some people have very strong personalities and will tend to drive in those situations. But if you take the voice away and it's just people writing on sticky notes. Yep. 
And you can use this, the exercise that Jeff taught us, you can use, and I do use for creating user stories, mm -hmm. doing retrospectives, uh, other examples of things like that. It's really great for doing, I still get the ideas out of your head as the yeah. louder person, and I'm one of those louder people as well. But the people who aren't as loud, their ideas are also included in there. Plus, there's the, you know, the cognitive uh, thing of once you start talking about a certain idea, I start grabbing onto that idea mm. and lose other ideas that I wouldn't have thought of. And the silent brainstorming, it doesn't prevent that from happening, but encourages more ideas to come out. And it also makes sure that things aren't overlooked. That's right. Yeah. So it sounds, sounds brilliant. And what you'll find is that when you do this silent brainstorming, if you do it for about five minutes for the, for that first second row, like the compose email, read email level, mm -hmm. you do it for five minutes. Uh, you won't have every idea written down and neither will you and neither will I, but together we'll have thought of everything. If, you, if your group's kind of three, four or five people. Well, and I also like the side effect of when everybody writes the same thing down as the keynote, it sells an a lot about its priority level. Yes. And right away, apparently we all agree here. Yep. You know, it's a, I compare it to, you know, how do you pick a name for your baby? You know, you write down the names you like, she writes down the names she like, then you look at lists and with any luck, there's a crossover there. You know, am I crazy? That, I think that's exactly what we did. And there was only one name that crossed over. I don't think it worked that way for us, but. <laughs> <laughs> but I just like that getting rid of the strength of personality as a part of the planning process and getting into everybody being heard. I've used this for community groups as well. It's just mm -hmm. the same techniques. And I got an email from someone afterwards who is quiet, a friend of mine who mm -hmm. doesn't speak out, but has really great ideas. And his email just said, just simply, thanks for using that silent technique because my ideas got heard and I wouldn't have spoken out loud. Right. And some of his ideas were great. Right? Well, and often you get the louder person to grab onto that idea and defend it for you. Yeah. You, you know, it gets air. I, yes. I love the idea that once these things are written down, they won't go away. That's we right. We have to decide to put that aside. Right. Or did we do it differently once it's been written down? So you sort of neutralize all that. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. The silent grouping, how do we manage, I mean, if you've got one sticky for each thing, yep. how do you manage the disagreements in grouping or does everybody get their own set? No, it's all one set. Okay. And you you just keep going until the the post-it notes stop moving. Until everybody agrees. Okay. That's right. And it That's doesn't it. take too long. It might, for a really large project, it might take you 10 or 15 minutes to get it. For a, a project like email, which isn't all that big from a, what people will do functionality, mm -hmm. it only takes a minute or two. And 
If you're disagreeing pretty strongly on something between two people, you have three or four in your group, someone's going to say no, 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 and they're just going to, there's going to be a group consensus. It, I've seen it happen. It just happens and works. Like, you ever had can somebody, I explain it? You ever had somebody just say, this is BS and leave the room? Not yet. <laughs> well, they can't participate if they don't stay in the room, but I, I can't see. <laughs> True. I, but I can see, you know, two grouping philosophies showing up and really kind of getting deadlocked. I haven't seen it happen. And did they have to stay silent? They, do you have a problem? Do you deal with issues of people who can't stop talking anyway? Yes, uh, but I am six foot four. <laughs> <laughs> you want to rethink that? <laughs> do you shush folks? Like, what do you do? To I keep do. I high? remind them that this is supposed to be in silent. Right. Uh, it doesn't. It's not a strict thing because it's really you're doing it to make it go faster. It's mm -hmm. silent because it's faster and also builds team collaboration. But if someone's going to talk, uh, I will remind them to be quiet and, mm -hmm. and not talk. And usually they're pretty good about doing it. When I could, I can, I can see it working on the brainstorming side. It's the, it's the grouping where I could imagine, you know, why do you keep moving that over there? You know, yep. that sort of give and take. I'm trying to understand why you, you're grouping like this one. I'm trying to group like this. Come on Thursday morning and watch and do it. But that's not going to work on a talk show. No. <laughs> I, I can't explain why it works, but I, I've done this talk. This will be number four. And usually there's five or six different user story maps being created right. at a time. And we do at least two in each session. So that's five times like 10. And that's about 40 different maps, plus the ones I've done with clients. Mm -hmm. And at work, I'm at 50 or 60 maps. I've never seen that be a problem. Okay. So, but And the point being that there is an apparent grouping. That, that naturally get, comes out of this pretty quickly. There is, yep. And you spend more time brainstorming than grouping? Yes. Okay. I mean, that's the, the best case you can make there, that it takes longer to get the ideas down than it does to sort the ideas in a group. Do you, what about orphans? Don't you get a few that just like, where does this go? Is there a MISC category? Yes, and it does happen occasionally, and then you just name that one group, mm -hmm. or you reconsider your groups. But if you watch people do it, you watch them as they put, move their posters, you can see the orphan, and the people start pointing to it and holding it up and wondering where it goes, and someone says, ah, just put it there, or they say put it on its own. Yeah. But it's it's happens once in a while. Right. I mean, it depends on the product. That's right. I'd also, I'm always concerned that we didn't get all the stories down. Yeah, and this isn't about stories yet, mm -hmm. right? Now, you're gonna use, you could use the same silent brainstorming technique to generate all the stories in each column. So right. when you take compose email, you say, okay, let's write all our user stories. We've got prioritize, we've got HTML, we've got RTF, we've got connect, click the to button and yeah. get our contacts, et cetera, et cetera. And you can use the same approach to generate all those user stories. Well, I, yeah. I mean, what I'm, what I'm getting all jazzed about here is just, I know the personalities that get buried and when you, use, you don't use techniques like this. Right. And a, and a lot of ideas that do get suppressed and that, that sort of underground, uh, dissent. Yep. That comes on because the loudest guys dominated. That's right. So, uh, in the past, I just assumed you were doing kind of user story gathering with index cards, the standard agile way. What kind of, uh, speed and quality improvements have you seen? If you could quantify it. Uh, with the gathering of requirements? Yeah. With, and with user story mapping. Well, user story mapping, like I said, you can get the, a product idea out of someone's head. And uh, we did one for a mobile app. It probably took me and another guy to create the whole map, including all the user stories, about 10 minutes. Yeah. Mobile app's pretty small the, in this case. It yeah. was for a conference website. 
or a conference mobile app, so what speakers, et cetera, and what are your sessions. When you're doing a much larger application, it's going to take longer, but you can still do that user story map within 30 minutes to really? a significant project within an hour. Now, adding all the user stories, the depth under each column, mm-hmm. and uh, slicing user stories into small pieces, uh, what I do first, um, put you put a get painter's tape, mm-hmm. and you put a line of tape two or three user stories down from the top. Mm-hmm. So there's only room for two or three user stories. Okay. And you say, okay, now write the small user stories because user stories are small or big depending on if they're going to be created soon or later, right? Right. Later ones are likely to change anyway, so we don't we let them be bigger. And then say, put the first three user stories in each of those columns, and that's what we're going to brainstorm first. Okay. And then we do this, a similar brainstorming to say, okay, now there are some bigger ones out there that we want to do later. Let's put those down the map later. That's pretty awesome. So uh, did Jeff Patton write a book about this? Is there some place we I can... I think it's either just came out or will come out. It's supposed to be out this year. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. Where are you going to be speaking next? Uh, in Denver at Mile High Agile in April. Awesome. So, Carl. Yeah, Richard. You ever embed Excel into an application? Ugh. You know, that's right up there with sticking ice picks in my ears. Nice. Because your end users have to have the right version of Office and all that stuff. Yeah. And it has that extra layer of dependency. What I want is just a way to take all that Excel goodness and plop it right into my .NET application. Well, you reminded me of Farpoint Spread from the old days. Yeah, 20 years ago I used Farpoint Spread, but now, of course, it's Grape City Power Tools Spread. And now, you know, they have this version that's both for ASP.NET and for Windows Forms in one package. Nice. Yeah, it's two different controls, obviously, but it's in one package, so... You bought one, you bought the other. Right. Spread.NET from Grape City Power Tools. Smarter components for smarter developers. So, Steve, we've sort of got to a point here where we've got this map, we're looking at it. Uh, now, sort of regular development process is going to take over, Right. And the question that the management's always going to ask is, all right, when are you going to ship? That's right. All right. Uh, what do you say? What's your approach to dealing with uh, starting to put hard numbers around things? So this map uh, addresses several concerns from different people. We've talked about how for a QA person, they can test the whole horizontal slice rather than just individual pieces. Mm-hmm. They can test everything together. For a project manager, now they can, if you use this in addition to mm-hmm. your Kanban board or your visual board, um, you can start marking status of which stories are done in your map, starting from the top and going down. Uh, so you've got this real-time board that shows exactly where you are and what's in progress and what's finished. Uh, and then you use your regular planning poker or your cycle time in Kanban or Kanban, and uh, you've got data to say when you're going to be finished, whatever stories are on your map. Now, as we've said, whatever stories on your map, the ones that are down lower are going to get bigger and probably change as you deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, and your priorities for releasing are going to change as well. Yeah, we're going to get a stripe out and get it out in the field, That's and right. we're going to get some pushback from the customers, and that might rewrite a few of these stories and certainly shift some priorities around. Yep, exactly. Okay. but And then, you know, now we get into the standard, how long did that iteration take? You know, what right. was the you know set of features? What's the next set of features look like? Can we get the same sense of what the next iteration looks right. like? So for the user stories that you've... C- have identified as important for the uh, mm-hmm. future releases or the current release, you can do all that planning for. Mm-hmm. And as every release goes out or every, or maybe even if you're using uh, continuous deployment at a certain point, you could release each story as it's finished. Yeah. But then you're still going to be making decisions about 
what are the future releases we want? What's going to be important to our customers? What features are they actually using? Are those features actually solving the problem that they asked? And do we need to take a different approach? Right. I mean, that's just the rethink that we get after the, that's a sort of typical retrospective effects of, that's of right. shipping. And I like the visualization piece on this, that we make this map fairly big and it becomes sort of the way people see where we are in the project. Right. It's kanban Yes, it's, uh, it supports Kanban, it supports yeah. Scrum iterations, whatever you like. So would you, I mean, would you t- have a typical Kanban board sitting beside the map? Yes, I, I've seen some people, they take their st- their post-it notes off of the user story map mm-hmm. and put it on their Kanban board. Right. I prefer to duplicate them because I don't want to have holes in my map, I want to see my map. Right. And what I do is, there's tiny little post-its that use for bookmarks and stuff like that. Yeah. I use those in two different colors. One is a whip, which is work in progress mm-hmm. color. So maybe blue is work in progress. And you use a green one to say they're done. Right. And you can see the colors then flow down your map, which ones are in progress. Right. So the map is this historical record. You know, right. That's why you don't want to move anything around on it. Right. Do we have digital versions of this or are we still physical board up on the wall? You, uh, Jeff Patton and Jeremy Lightsmith created cardmapping.com. And you can create your maps on the board there. I, and I believe there are some tools that are starting to support this. I, I haven't actually used them myself, but I understand that there are some some of the bigger names have started supporting user story mapping. So what about Microsoft Project? Microsoft Project uh, doesn't belong in user story mapping. <laughs> but, um, yeah, people are addicted to their Gantt charts. They are. And, um, I, and I call it an addiction for a reason. They are. And Bad I, UI. I understand Sorry. the addiction. I it's not a tool that I use in on projects that I work on. If I can avoid it, um, working with clients, they always sometimes ask us to use it, right? And we do if we have to. But I prefer to use other methods that work. Maybe there's an opportunity here if Microsoft is listening to sort of rethink Microsoft Project using some of these new, uh, newer methods and newer tools. And for and, sure. I mean, I, okay, I'm going to defend Project because other than software. I've, I've never been really happy with software in project. I mean, right. I end up with a guy whose life is constantly updating project. They just spit out these Gantt charts. Yes. But that's I've exactly seen, what happens. But I've seen project incredibly successful with things like, uh, like a theater production, you know, where there's a complex set of timelines and many different moving pieces. And, uh, you know, okay, this thing didn't make it in. What gets bumped? Like it, it does work. It's just, I don't know why this doesn't work well in software. It bothers me. It ought to, but it doesn't. You, you make a great point because I've used it successfully. Uh, in my local community, I planned an amazing race for youth. And there's so many moving parts on the amazing race day. People mm-hmm. have to be there at a certain time. And then they have a certain transition time to get to their next station as far as the support staff and the volunteers. Mm-hmm. And it worked fantastic for that, outlining everyone's responsibilities, where they need to be. And it mm-hmm. worked very smoothly. But like you said, I worked on a, I've seen projects where transitioning to Agile and the project manager wants to use the Gantt chart. And because things are changing often, because we embrace that in Agile, they spend too much time working in project and not enough time helping the team. Right. And that's a, that's a smell as you will. Yeah. Well, and I guess it's that it, it is the transitory nature of software that we keep changing things. That's right. And generally, hopefully changing things for the better. Correct. But it just punishes that person trying to use that tool. That's right. And that's hard. Yeah. Okay. I have, I have a lot of sympathy for that, uh, for that person who's struggling to move. I mean, we all, when we're moving towards a more change tolerant agile process, it is, it's, it almost sounds crazy to mm-hmm. begin with, but when you start to embrace it, then you start to not embrace MS project for these kind of well, projects. Well, it may, it sort of bring, highlights this idea that the Gantt is a lie in software anyway. 
Yes. Right? You're, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Am I wrong? Like, I, I have a friend who I, says, in Agile, you are lying less. <laughs> We're lying more often and in smaller, but in smaller <laughs> amounts, right? We're Let's getting lie to with, the, yeah. with rapid frequency. Right. We're iterating our You're lives. You're getting well. to the truth sooner. Okay. <laughs> the problems I have with project is using the Gantt as the, the, the UI, the UI as a means to manipulate the data rather than a visualization of the data. Like if all of these things could be mapped out in a spreadsheet in terms of duration, time, or, you know, more time needed or whatever, it'd probably be easier to tweak the numbers and then see the Gantt chart change rather than go in and grab a, you know, grab a, an edge and move it around like you're editing a video or something like that. Cause that little tweaky UI stuff can, can really just drive you nuts. Yes. And I, it doesn't. With Agile, when, when we use post-its or even if you use a tool that teams can just move their post-its around virtually, uh, you're, you're, you don't need that kind of fine-tuning of adjustments and stuff. And you give more responsibility and empowerment to the team to figure out their own dependencies and tasks rather than the project manager being the one responsible who does all that work for them. Yeah. Right. It's a significant difference in empowerment and I believe in results of the project when so, you take that away. So you could still find a way to see the Gantt chart as a visualization tool, but not necessarily a, a modification data entry tool, perhaps is what I'm getting at. Yeah, possibly. Well, I'm also thinking that the user story map and a, and a Kanban board are better visualizations than the Gantt chart anyway. They right. show overall progress. They grade Kanban, as I understand, is great at visualizing where we're bottlenecking or who's thrashing. Like you start seeing that just naturally shows up on that graph. Correct. Better than I think a Gantt ever does. And the Gantt does a lot less labor. Yeah, the Gantt doesn't show that at all. Yeah. I, I at least I, I don't know how yeah. you would get a Gantt chart to show You're that. You're right. You're absolutely right. It almost feels like a progress bar that's running out or an hourglass that's almost, uh, it's like, you know. But yeah, when I think about that user storyboard and like I said, with the, with the little coast, it's showing the, the completion. So that you're gradually pushing down that completion line. Again, now I'm doing hand gestures in a talk show. Uh, <laughs> What's wrong with that? What, what am I doing here? But yeah, the, it's about making people at a glance. You know, there's, a, there's this whole theory around graphs, especially, that you you get that initial impression and then you study it to understand why you have that impression. And that good graphs give you the right impression. So that... You know, we see this, then we see this two-dimensional map of all of these posts that show the scope of the work we've got and how it spreads across many different features. And in, right, if one of that feature groupings is a very long list, it's yep. just a cue to you, cue being C-U-E, cue, to that maybe there's something wrong with that grouping. It shouldn't be that long. You know, maybe we can decompose it in a different area. Or that that's a very important thing mm -hmm. and that we need to go deeper in that one compared to some of the others. Put more resourcing on it, focus on it. Like it creates that's that right. visualization. And that same visualization of how, how are we progressing yeah. to have that color change happening, you know, over each of those stripes. Again, it gives a sense of well-being of, ah, we're making progress. First stripe, second stripe, third stripe done. Yeah, you know, we're in a good place. And I've yes. always appreciated that about Kanban that, those visualizations helping you at, at a glance know things are well and at a glance know I need to focus here. Yep. That, and that's really, you know, what I'm after with both those, uh, with the, why do I put these up on the wall? 
Correct. To help people see where we're at and what to be worried about. Yes, user story mapping goes very well with the Kanban approach, mm-hmm. but even with the iteration approach of velocity and, and anything like that, the, the visualiz- visualization of your progress is extremely powerful. Uh, I think Eves Hanul calls it brutal transparency. Nice. Right? It's, wow. That's what it is. So did Jeff write a book about uh, about user story mapping? I, I know he was working on it. I believe the release date was earlier this year. I don't know if that was moved, but uh, I know I've linked to it on Amazon from my blog already, but I don't know if it said to be coming or if it was okay. already there. All right. And where are you speaking next? Uh, in Denver at Mile High Agile. And that's going to be in April? April. That's correct. Fantastic. Wow, this is great stuff. Uh, I'm I'm glad you got it. We got a chance to share it with our listeners. It was fun. Thank you. All right, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Hey, thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 minutes of free video training by guests on .NET Rocks and other experts in the field. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got transmitter band.